0: Uh, Well, before we get into this uh, passage and into this message today, I just wanna thank you for your generosity last week. Uh, We had sent a team down to Juarez Uh, to build a home for a single mom and her family. And uh, they just got back yesterday and I've heard some great reports. Um, But one of the things that we had asked you to do was to give to our monthly uh, M25 uh, gathering or or offering where we typically collect food and different things. This month, we asked you to bring diapers and formula and wipes, and you just responded uh, wonderfully. And so here's a picture. This is actually half. This is half of what you gave, uh, which is awesome, yeah. And so uh, that went to a number of the local churches down there and uh, we are really thankful. So we appreciate uh, just your generosity and guys you're back, how, everything go good? You got a good, you look like you're out in the sun. Yeah, that's good. So anyway, so thank you for that and, uh, and thanks for your, your overall generosity there. Well listen, this is our last week of this series. We've been looking at uh, uh, fighting fear and specifically fighting fear with faith. Uh, The first week we introduced that idea, Uh, we saw from the book of Hebrews that we're not people who shrink back, but we're people who have faith. Uh, Last week, we looked at uh, one of the fears that a lot of us face, which is the fear of being known, uh, of being uh, people really kind of knowing who we are. Uh, Tyler Johnson was here and helped us see that uh, we can go before the presence of God and be known, and therefore, we can be vulnerable with each other. Um, And then today, we're gonna talk about an area of fear that I think a lot of people uh, deal with, and that's fear-related fear related to money, fear related to money. Many of you are just afraid about a message related to money. So uh, this is an appropriate topic, Uh, but there's different ways to think about fear and money. Uh, One would be a literal fear of money, right? That's an actual thing. I found this on a website. There's a thing called chromatophobia. Anyone suffering from chromatophobia? It's the fear of handling money. So if you had this, you would not want to hold money, touch money, look, just being around money scares you. That's scary that that's a thing, right? But, but that's a literal thing. If that's you, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, that sounds miserable. Uh, a literal fear of money. Uh, there's philosophical fear of money. Uh, CNN on their website actually has a thing called the Money and Greed Fear Index. The money and greed fear index. It looks at what's going on in the stock market and in investing and it tries to gauge whether investors are currently, and uh, it's sort of a one to a hundred spectrum, uh, are currently, currently driven more by fear or more by greed. Isn't it interesting that that's what drives our economy? Fear and greed. And we wonder why there are issues sometimes. So there's literal fear of money. There's the kind of philosophical, uh, that sort of a thing. Then there's the personal fears related to money. And specifically, this is where most of us are. No, this is where I am. This question, will I have enough to blank? And the questions change and vary as you get older and you experience different things. But it's that basic question, will I have enough to blank? Will I have enough to go to college? Will I have enough to buy an engagement ring? Will I have enough to afford a wedding? Will I have enough to be able to buy a first house? Will I have enough to be able to go on a vacation? Will I have enough to be able to afford this medical bill? Will I have enough to pay for kid's braces? Will I have enough to retire? Will I have enough to be able to take care of my elderly parents? Will I have enough to blank? And when you add up all of those will I have enoughs, scary. scary. And it's stressful. This is why the American Psychological Association, they did a study in 2015, looking at all the different things that stress Americans out. And what they said was that 64%, this is the leading cause of stress, 64% of Americans are impacted somewhat significantly by money stress. It actually goes up if you have children. So those of you with children, it goes up to 77%. And you go, yeah, no kidding, that sounds familiar. And what's frustrating about this is that actually, the more money you make does not mean that you have less fear. In fact, quite the opposite, you just have more fears because there's more to lose, uh, you, you, you fear. It's interesting, UBS, uh, this uh, you know, bank, actually Matthew Browsden used to work for UBS, they did this study of, of wealthy people you know, who have assets over a million dollars, that's how they defined it. And, um, They said, you know, those people, they're worried about losing it all. They're worried that their kids are spoiled rotten brats who can't manage money because they have everything handed to them. They worry about getting more money, right? So so the more money you have doesn't get rid of your fears. See, most Americans, most of us, we worry about money. And for most of us, it's not because we don't have enough, but it's because we don't have the right mindset toward money. We don't have the right... Assumptions about money. We don't have the right perspective. It, it, it's rarely because we don't have enough. There are instances where that's the case. But for most of us, what we don't have is the right mindset. And so that's what we wanna try to give you today. And if you're under 25 and you embrace what we're talking about today, it will change your life. It will change the trajectory and direction of your life and your choices. You will write me a letter in 20 years and say, thank you so much for sharing what you shared from God's word about this, I so needed it. And if you are in a place where maybe you're 45 or 55 and you didn't hear what we're gonna talk about today, uh, it's not too late. And the mindset and the shift can change. Well, what does it need to change from? Well, it needs to change from the typical American approach to money and consumerism. This is a cycle that all of us are kind of dealing with and, and thinking through. And, and the first part of the cycle, this is what just so many of us uh, have embraced just as we've caught it in our culture or through our families or whatever. The first thing that we think about is worry, worry, worry. When it comes to money, we're worried, we're afraid. Will I have enough to blank? And so worry drives us, and worry drives us in some significant ways. Will I have enough? Will there be enough? Will I be able to provide enough? We worry. And because we worry, we wanna make sure we can do whatever we can to to have what we need now, and that leads us to the next part of the cycle, which is that we spend more than we make. We worry, will I have enough to? And then because of credit, we go, well, who cares if I have enough to? I just can. And if I can, then I should. And so we spend more than we make. Because we spend more than we make, it leads to debt. We owe people money, often on depreciating assets that are not particularly valuable. And because of all that debt, the last part of the cycle is we have no margin. Things are tight, things are upside down, things are underwater, And now all of a sudden, the urgent care visit throws our whole situation into disarray. Now all of a sudden, the brakes go out, and what do I do? I don't have money for that, I don't have margin for that. Now all of a sudden, my kid needs a new pair of shoes, I don't have margin for that. And the cycle goes on and on, right? I worry, I don't have enough, so I spend more than I make, so that I accumulate debt, so I don't have margin, which makes me more worried, so I spend more because it kind of just feels good to go shopping. And then I go, right, and, and just around and round we go. Now, what drives this cycle? What drives this cycle is consumerism. Because what we're worried about, if you really think about it, the worry is a worry about future consumption. Will I have enough to blank, will I have enough of the things I need and want to consume? Will I be able to have enough to have that home? Will I be able to have enough to be able to have that kind of wardrobe? Will I be able to have enough to be able to have that kind of transportation? Will I have enough? And we're worried about oftentimes future consumption, things that I wanna consume. Because we worry about that, that's what we begin to consume, right? So we end up consuming more than we can afford we take on all this debt by doing so, and what kind of debt is it? It's consumer debt, right? There's not necessarily a problem as much with having a mortgage, right? That's a good kind of debt, right? You, you can sell your home, and especially if you make a good choice and it's a mortgage you can afford, you're not spending more than you can afford, it, it can be okay to do that. But, but consumer debt, where you're buying things that the moment you buy them, they're worth less. Put those two words together. Worthless, right? The consumer debt, right, and that, that drives us, and then we have no margin, which means we're, we have no margin for future consumption. Now, when we were studying the book of Judges, we looked a lot at idolatry, right? Some of you were here for that, you remember, we talked about the idolatry of pleasure and of comfort and of approval and of uh, power and those sorts of things. We, we talked a lot about kind of individual idolatry but what this shows us is that all of us are swept up in a cultural idolatry as well. The cultural idolatry of consumerism. And that's what every advertisement, that's what every banner ad that pops up on your website, that's what anytime you wanna watch a video on your phone and it's like, gosh, 15 seconds for them to do what? For them to tell you you need to consume something. Right, and we watch the Super Bowl and we vote on which, which stories of consumerism were most interesting. I mean, it's a cultural idol. The whole world is saying, you need this, you need more, you should buy it, you, even if you can't afford it. Hey, you don't need to be able to afford that couch. No money down and no interest till 2027. 20, Get it today. And that cultural idolatry keeps this cycle Going. Well, what's the root of these various problems besides consumerism? Well, the root of worry is a spiritual issue. It's a lack of trust, it's a lack of faith in God. Right, Jesus said, uh, Look at the sparrows, look at the birds. They-, they-, they don't worry about anything. You're much more valuable than they are. So there's a spiritual issue with our worry. The, the-, the spending more than we make, that's a self control issue. I know I should say no. I know that I should have a budget. I know that I should live according to that budget, but I don't have the self-control to do it. The debt, that's a contentment issue. I'm caught up in what I think I need, and so I'm, I'm willing to take on things I can't afford and to accumulate that because I'm not content just having what God's given me. And then the lack of margin, again, that's a discipline issue. So that's the cycle what word would you use to describe that cycle okay thumbs down any words huh it's a vicious continual cycle i i first heard of this cycle from a guy named andy stanley and when he explained it here's here's the word he used to describe it crazy (laughs) This is the crazy cycle. This is nuts. We worry, so we spend what we don't have, so we accumulate debt, so we live without margins, so we worry. This is crazy, and this is the way that most people live. This is the way even most Christians live, and it's nuts. It doesn't make any sense, and it's leading us into all kinds of problems. Now, here's the thing you need to see about this cycle. Three things. First, more money doesn't fix it. The crazy cycle is not fixed by having more money because money does not generate more self-control. More money does not generate more contentment. More money does not generate more discipline. In fact, when you make more money, you you just do more of what you've always done, right? How many of you, if your boss came to you or someone came to you and said, hey, just this is, I know, unexpected, but I've got a 25% raise for you. How many people would go, cool? I'm going to save it all. <laughs> I'm just not going to change my my living situation at all. I'm just going to keep living the way I've been living. You know what? I'll, you know what? I'll 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 give away 10% of it and I'll save and invest the other 15. Perfect. Would anyone do that? No. Why? Because your habits just keep pace with your income. So more money doesn't fix this problem. Second thing you need to see about this is that we think we're the exception. Like a lot of us would look at that side and go, yeah, that is crazy. That is vicious. That's nuts. I can't believe people live like that. But I don't. I should send this to my brother. He really needs this message. Like, when are they going to post it online? I don't need this, but he does. Right, we think we're the exception. This was a fascinating conversation yesterday. I was with some... uh, Uh, some good friends of ours and there's a kind of another guy who we have this mutual friendship anyway without getting into that he is a financial advisor um, for a very big um, very big firm and his particular division that he started works exclusively with professional athletes so he has about 150 professional athlete clients most of whom are pro baseball players and uh, we were talking about what he does and how and he's a Christian and we were talking about just kind of what that is like and the perspective and the mindset these different guys have and I asked him a question because I've seen a lot of documentaries and Sports Illustrated articles and all sorts of media that have basically said that on average most professional athletes five years after they're done playing are broke they make millions of dollars they spend millions of dollars When their career ends, they no longer are making millions of dollars, but they keep spending it, and they're broke. And so I asked him, I said, Eric, is there like any adjustment that you've seen in the way these guys think? Because now they're, I mean, there's this 30 for 30 documentary, and there's there's all this stuff out there. Like, hasn't it changed the way people have approached it? And he said, you'd think it would, but every guy thinks he's the exception. Every guy goes, yeah, man, these other baseball players, these other athletes, they gotta get together, they're gonna be broke. But they don't think it for themselves. So more money doesn't fix the cycle. And we think often we're the exception to it and we're not as much as we think. And then here's a third thing, and this is a quote from Dave Ramsey. He says this, getting out of debt, or you could say getting out of this cycle, getting out of debt isn't about math, it's about behavior. I heard this quote in my garage one day. Uh, and that's because uh, I was with my 9-year-old Abby who loves Dave Ramsey. Like she just can't get enough Dave Ramsey. So anytime we're out at, in the evening and Dave's radio show is on on 923, it's like, "Can we listen to Dave Ramsey please?" and you know, Caitlin's like, "No, I hate Dave Ramsey." And Abby's like, "No, let's please listen to it." So we listened to this one day. I was just me and her. We were out doing something and and we pulled in the in the garage and Dave's still talking he's like mid-answer and she's like let's just finish the end of the answer and then we'll go inside right so I'm sitting there in the car like an idiot just listening to Dave Ramsey and here's what he said getting out of debts not about math it's about behavior right cuz there are certain parts actually of Dave's strategy that mathematically aren't the best way to go but what Dave has learned is that the power of behavior particularly in the debt snowball thing is a tremendous thing so Fixing this cycle, dealing with this cycle, it's largely about behavior. But before even you think about behavior, you've gotta think about assumptions. You've gotta think about a mindset. You've gotta have a different way of thinking, right? Because the assumptions you make lead to the behavior that you, that you exhibit, right? If I assume it's going to rain tomorrow, then I will bring an umbrella. If I don't think it will, then I won't, right? The assumptions you make, the mindset you have will impact your behavior. So here's what I wanna do for, the, for this message is, is I wanna focus on just the top thing of worry, right? Because that's a mindset. There's assumptions. There's a way of thinking. And then what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna let Dave take care of the other three, all right? So here's how I'm gonna do that. Dave Ramsey, Financial Peace University. You heard us talk about it. Uh, We're offering this class. It begins a week from tomorrow. The deadline to set up, to sign up so that we can have enough resources and stuff is uh, tomorrow. That's Monday, the 21st. So uh, go on our website if you wanna take this class. What Dave's gonna do is work through those bottom three things. He's gonna help you spend less than you make, he's gonna help you get out of debt, and he's gonna help you establish more margin. What I wanna to try to do is give you a new mindset, okay? So that's one thing, financial peace. The other thing we're doing, and we've never done this before, but it's, it's been really fun today so far, is I have this book uh, by Dave Ramsey called Total Money Makeover. This book retails for 25 bucks if you went and bought it at Barnes and Noble. His organization sold it to us for quite a bit less. And uh, I wanna give you this book for free, no cost, I don't want you to pay for it. Uh, it's not at the book counter. It's only right up here in the corner and I've got a bunch of copies and here's the only thing you have to do. You have to come up to me after the service. I'll be there with one of our other pastors, hand them out, and you need to come up and you need to say, I need help with stewarding money and I will do the worksheets. <laughs> all right, at the back of this, there's about 20 pages of worksheets, all right? I need help stewarding money and I will do the worksheets. And if you'll come up and tell us that, we had dozens of people at first service come up and tell us, they all remembered, I need help stewarding money, and I'll do the worksheets, and it's yours. And what that will do, again, will give you help with those bottom three things, with the behaviors. But what I wanna focus on is the attitude and the assumptions and the mindset. In order to do that, I wanna look at two different stories from the scriptures that I think provide a very interesting contrast Two different assumptions, two different mindsets, two different ways of seeing our money and our resources and the things God has given us. All right, so the first one uh, comes from Luke chapter 12. And this is what we read from just a moment ago. Uh, Luke chapter 12 uh, is a parable that Jesus tells. A parable is just a story or an illustration. It's a made-up thing. It, it's not a story that really happened necessarily. It's just Jesus saying, hey, let me, give you, let me just tell you a story that illustrates my point. That's what a parable is. And so a guy comes to him and says, hey, my brother won't divide up the inheritance fair, and would you kind of tell him what to do about it? And, and, and that kind of is the setting. And Jesus says this in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Covetousness is that contentment thing, it's that thing where I want what I don't have, I'm not satisfied, I'm worried about future consumption, I'm worried about what other people have, it's not enough for me to just have what I have, I I want what you have. He said, watch out, Jesus said, take care, be on your guard, be careful against that. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Just Jesus, Jesus right out of the chute says, consumerism isn't life. That's not what this is about. Man's life doesn't consist in having a lot of stuff. So then he tells this story. He says, uh, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. Uh, so any, you know, everyone in his audience at that point went, well, figures. The rich just keep getting richer, right? Here's this rich guy, a lot of land, And he he produced plentifully, has this bumper crop, you know, more crops than he could ever uh, know what to do with. And so it says, verse 17, so he thought to himself, notice he didn't consult anyone wise. He didn't pray. He didn't go to the scriptures. He thought to himself, what shall I do? for I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. When this guy had a bumper crop, what did he do? He did what he'd always done. Because more money just is more of the habits you're already doing. It doesn't change your heart. It doesn't give you new self-control. And his whole assumption the whole time had been, these are my crops, these are my barns, this is my bumper crop, this is mine. That was his mindset. So, this is mine. He didn't think, should I give this away? Do I need all this? Would this actually help some other people who their crop got eaten by locusts? He doesn't think any of that. He's just thinking, it's mine. And God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. The things you've prepared, whose will they be? Listen, that night God said, hey, you're dead. You're standing before me. What are you going to do with all that stuff? You can't take it with you. Jesus concludes, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. There was an assumption that this rich fool had. Here was his assumption If it came to me, it's mine. You could call this the consumption assumption. If it came to me, it's mine. I'm the owner. I'm an owner of this. This is my stuff. I planted the crops. I did the work. I tended the weeds. I harvested it. It's mine. And if it came to me, it's mine. I'm an owner. That is the mindset that leads to lots of worry. Because now you have a lot that you have to think about and worry about and consume. And a lot that you are think you're responsible for because you did it all. That's one mindset. Now let's look at a very different mindset. And to do that, we need to go back in our Bibles, go way left to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 17. This is in the crispy part of your Bible. Uh, page 299, if you have one of the black hardcover ones. 1 Kings 17. And as you turn there, uh, 1 Kings This whole section is is really a time in Israel's history when very few people are faithfully following the Lord Uh, Elijah is a prophet, he's constantly calling people to respond and to repent and to turn from their sin. Uh, He's going to the kings and the leaders and saying you're leading the people astray, repent, turn from sin, and they're not doing it, so he's constantly on the run because they don't like his message and that whole thing. And so at the beginning of 1 Kings 17, it actually says that Elijah gave a word of the Lord that said that there would be a drought, there would be a drought and therefore a famine until uh, God sent rain and until there was some sort of repentance. And in the meantime, God uh, tells Elijah, hey, I'm going to take care of you. And in 1 Kings 17, verse 8 and 9, he begins to tell Elijah how he's going to provide for him. It says, then the word of the Lord, by the way, anytime you read all caps, the Lord, that's, that's the word Yahweh, God's personal name. The word of Yahweh came to him, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So just listen, the way that Elijah is gonna be cared for is through a widow, right? So the last story, the rich fool, this is a guy that has tons of stuff. A widow, particularly in this culture, would have had hardly anything. And you actually see in the next story that her son is a young boy, right? So she doesn't have an older, she she hasn't remarried. She doesn't have a son old enough to be able to work and to take care of her. And we find out here that she's actually rather destitute. But she's gonna provide, God's gonna provide to Elijah through her. So it says verse 10, so he arose and went to Zarephath and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks and he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink and as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Now it's funny, when I read this, I, I think like, your leg's broken? Like, go get it yourself, like. I mean, it's like, bring me the head of a pig and a goblet of something, cool and refresh it. But, but he's actually, I mean, he's in the, he's in the, the town square. He's asking for hospitality. This, in This culture wouldn't have been as abnormal as it sort of seems to us. But she responds, verse 12. And she said, as Yahweh, your God, lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. She says, Elijah, I'd, I'd love to help, but we're down to our last meal and I got nothing left. Like I'm out here gathering sticks because I can't afford any. I, this is it for us. Verse 13, Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that Yahweh sends rain upon the earth. You know what Elijah says? He says, hey, I know it's the end, I know it's the last handful and the littlest bit of oil, but I want you to go make the cake you were gonna make, but instead of eating it yourself, bring it to me. And then make one for you. And here's what's going to happen. This flour and this oil that you think you're about to run out of, I'm telling you, God is telling you, you are not going to run out of it. There is going to be a supernatural work of God where he's going to keep providing what you need until it rains. But each time you make that meal, you're going to have to trust him. Each time you reach in for that last handful of flour and that last bit of oil, you're gonna have to trust that he will take care of you. Verse 15. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent. Neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of Yahweh that he spoke by Elijah. This is a fascinating contrast when you think about this poor widow versus the rich fool. Think about this. The widow was as poor as can be. The man was as rich as can be. The widow was basically out of resources. The man had more resources than ever before. The widow listened to God's word. The man listened to his own thoughts. The widow saw what, that what she had wasn't for her, but it was from God. The man thought that everything he had was for him. The widow survived many days, leaning on the Lord's sustenance. The rich man died that night, thinking he was rich to himself. It's an amazing contrast, isn't it? The rich fool had a consumption assumption, but this poor widow had a different assumption. Rather than saying, if it came to me, it's mine, what she said was, if it came to me, it's God's. If it came to me, it's God's. Not if it came to me, it's mine, not I'm an owner, but I'm a steward, I'm a manager. This isn't my flower, this isn't my oil, this is God's. And it's to be used for his purposes because I'm not an owner, I'm a steward. This is the mindset that if your mind and heart can shift this, it will change your life. It will change your whole perspective. Now you'll still need to work on your habits, and you'll still need to work on your self-control and getting out of debt and all those things. But this is the mind shift, the mind shift that changes everything. Are you going to operate on the consumption assumption? If it came to me, it's for me, it's mine? or a stewardship assumption. If it came to me, it's God's. You get what stewardship is, right? You, you do stewardship every time you invest with a financial planner, right? When you give that person money, you expect them to return it to you at some point, hopefully with more. If they said, no, I just took it, <laughs> went on vacation, they, you, you, would, you would probably try to have them arrested. Right, if you you went to FedEx, because you were gonna send a big care package to your family that lives across the country, you know, and you're driving down the street and you see that the FedEx guy who lives down the street from you, his garage is open and all your stuff's in it. (laughs) You'd be like, wait a minute, what? Like, that wasn't for you, that wasn't yours. You were stewarding it. In the same way, God has given us abundance. God has given us so much. And the mindset that he wants us to have is the mindset of a steward, not an owner. Now, I view this as kind of a continuum. Right? I don't think it's quite simple, it's too simple to say, are you the rich fool? Or are you like the poor widow? Because it's really more of a continuum. Let, let, let me show you this continuum. Right on one end of the continuum is, is kind of the rich fool, those of us who think we're owners. Right, And the more that we're on this side of the continuum, the more stressed we'll be, the more worried we'll be, the more proud we'll be. This is mine, this is my stuff. And the more stingy we'll be. Right? This is mine and I might run out and I better build a bigger barn and I better take care of me. And we'll be worried and we'll be stressed and we'll be frantic because I don't, just don't know and I got, it, it's up to me. But the more you can move down the spectrum, Right, this is not the kind of thing where it's like, you could be here or here, but it's best to be in the middle. No, 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 it's best to be on the right. The biblical perspective where you go, I don't think I'm an owner, I know I'm a steward. This is God's stuff, this is God's money, this is God's resources, and I'm just managing it, and because of that, I trust him. Right? I, I have to pray to the Lord, I have to ask for wisdom and guidance. Lord, what do you want me to do with your stuff? I, I, I'm grateful to God for what I have. Rather than feeling entitled because this is mine and I worked for it, now I'm grateful. This is a good gift of God. And I thank him and I rejoice. And I receive it with joy. Not a kind of you know, stoic asceticism, I can't enjoy anything. No, you, you enjoy it. You, you go on vacation sometimes and you, and you buy nice things for your family and you do that because you're, you just enjoy God. And you know it's his. And you're generous with it. Because it's not yours. It's not just to be kept by you. It's to be used to bless others. Where are you on that spectrum? My desire, and I think God's desire, is that we'd be moving right. That we would go from the illusion of our own ownership, right? That's the illusion, right? Because God says to the rich fool, tonight, tonight I'm taking your life. Hey, you don't own that, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's an illusion. Move away from that illusion into the light, into the reality where you say, I know I'm a steward. See, here's the thing. God wants to be involved in your money. He wants this part of your life. Here's an old story. I don't know if this is true. This sounds like kind of a preacher story, but, but it's a good one. Uh, <laughs> that uh, that it, during the Crusades, there were some Crusade soldiers who when they were baptized, they would go down into the water holding their swords up out of the water. The idea being like, I've got to kill people and I know that's bad, but I'm gonna, baptize me, just not my sword. The American equivalent of that is we'd get baptized with our wallets out of the water. God, I, 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 I want to live for you. I want to I be yours, but not that. God says, no, I want to be involved in that. And really, you want him to, because at some point you're going to ask for his help and you'll want him to be involved. God wants to be involved. And God wants to be involved at a very detailed level. Why? Is it because he has nothing better to do? No, here's why. If all you had to do, if all you had to count on God for was eternal life, that's a one-time momentary thing that you could kind of do in a transaction. God, I believe in Jesus, I'm going to heaven. I've walked to the front, I've checked the card, I've done the thing, okay, I'm in. But God wants you to trust him, not just for the eternal thing. God wants you to trust him for everything. God wants you to trust him for your whole life, why? Because God wants a relationship with you. God wants to know you. God wants you to know him. God wants his goodness and healing and blessing to flow into and permeate every part of your life to make all of it new. Because he knows that he's made you and that his way is the best way, that's what he wants for you. And so it's so interesting in light of that how much Jesus talks about money. And it's so interesting that God wants to be involved in our money, why? Because if we're going to really let God in on our spending and our saving, our budget and our goals and all those things, we're going to have to depend on him. We're going to have to pray. We're going to be thankful. We're going to be generous. Why? Is it because God needs our money? No. No, God doesn't need it. God has everything. It's because God wants our hearts. God wants relationship. That's why he wants to be involved. Now, listen, I get that that could be scary because if anyone came to you and said, hey, I would really like to be involved in your money and at a very detailed level. (laughs) Like some of you were relieved that, oh, that's not what FPU is. I thought, ooh, that's good. I thought that's what that was gonna be. No, but if if someone came to you and said, I wanna be involved in every part of your money, you you would rightfully flinch. And the only way you would let that happen is if you really trusted that person. So the question is, can we really trust God? This is what God wants. Is God asking too much or can we trust him? Can we lean into him? Well, the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us we can trust him. Here's what uh, Romans 8.32 says. What a great verse as we look forward to Passion Week. It says this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You know what that's saying? God gave you the thing you needed most, his own son. And if he didn't spare that, and that's also, by the way, the most valuable thing the father has, if he didn't didn't spare that, he's not going to spare anything you need. He's going to take care of you. He's going to move toward you. He's going to love you and care for you and nurture you. Sometimes it's gonna be by saying, hey, stop that. That's hurting you. And when God says don't, he he means don't hurt yourself. And sometimes he's gonna bless you. And sometimes he's gonna do things you didn't expect. But you can trust God. Because he's given his most valuable son. It's a mindset shift. There's still behavior that's gotta change. And I'll have these books after the service. Again, all you have to do is say, I need help stewarding my resources and I'll do the worksheets and it's yours. That'll help you with the practical and the how-tos. But God has to help us have faith to think differently. We're not owners, we're stewards. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the examples it gives and the perspective it reshapes. And we pray that we would have the mind of Jesus here, that we would see that our life doesn't consist in the abundance of our possessions, that we would trust you as stewards and develop faith, dependence, so that someday we could be rich toward God. We love you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.